How to Play, Episode 27, Race for the Galaxy. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I give an explanation of how to play a game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. This podcast is intended for use in learning about a game you may not know much about, learning how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at BoardGameGeek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com where you can support the show with a PayPal donation, and I can be contacted at the Guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the How to Play Podcast. This is episode 27, and today we will be talking about Race for the Galaxy. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this episode was recorded on April 10th, 2011. If you enjoy this show, consider checking out my other show, Ludology, a podcast about the why of board gaming, and how to play in Ludology are proud partners of the Dice Tower Network. Now let's get into today's game, Race for the Galaxy. This game was designed by Tom Lehman in 2007, and I recommend playing it with between two and four players. Let's talk about what's to like about this game, and maybe what's not to like. If you've played the game Puerto Rico, this game will seem very similar as the structure comes from Puerto Rico. Originally, Tom Lehman had been given the instruction to sort of design this as a Puerto Rico card game. Of course, then along came the original designer, Andreas Seyfarth, who developed San Juan, and so that took precedence. And Tom Lehman's Puerto Rico card game eventually became this great game race for the galaxy with of course a science fiction or space theme and the game ties in that theme in very interesting ways those of you who've listened to the show for a while know that i really enjoy it when mechanics cleverly mix with the theme and it's definitely the case here when you read the title of the card and you see the ability of the card there's usually some sort of connection there between the two of them as well as the artwork is really fantastic So it has a really nice thematic integration, and it also has a lot of different strategies. We've talked about on Ludology recently, the multiple paths of victory, and these multiple paths of victory are pretty well balanced. But within those strategies, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made, and in order to execute the strategies, you have to play the game really well. So there's a lot of good decisions within that game. I think one of the best selling points for Race for the Galaxy is the ratio between decision points and the length of the game. You can play this game when you're first starting out, it'll probably take about an hour. But once you've really got it down, you're playing with all people who know what they're doing, you could crank games of this out in you know 30 minutes. And in that 30 minutes, you're you're making a lot of interesting decisions. And the game has a really nice range of players. It plays very nicely with two players, which is a big plus. Not many games pull that off. And also with three or four. And with expansions, you could play with even more. So what's not to like? One of the big criticisms of this game is the feeling of multiplayer solitaire, that old board game cliche, in that players are basically playing their own game and not really interacting with one another too much. 
And this, for the most part, is a, a valid criticism. Most of the game, you're sort of interacting with your own board. But there are elements where you do need to pay attention to what the other players are doing, specifically in choosing which action you'd like to take each round. And even as a multiplayer solitaire game, it's a ton of fun to sort of build that empire on your own. But if this is something that really bothers you, if you need a lot of interaction and conflict in your games, you may not like that element of the game. The next thing that can be a bit troublesome is because it does have that depth. And because it has all those decisions to make, there is sort of a high point of entry. It does take a few games to catch on to both the flow of the game as well as reading all of the cards. This game, for a point, they were thinking about releasing as a collectible card game, and you can definitely sense that feel as you try to learn the game and you see all the symbology on the cards. So this isn't something you're going to just pull off the shelf once and have a good time with. You need to sort of invest a little bit of time in the game to really figure out the flow and how to read the cards. So thinking about that, let's talk about the complexity rating for Race for the Galaxy. Because of those reasons I just mentioned, this game is a black diamond. It has some sort of unique mechanics that will take a bit of getting used to, as well as the difficulty of reading the cards. In my opinion... These things make the game not really that suitable for people not familiar with games or non-gamers, as that first play will really be a struggle as people are trying to figure out what those cards are doing. The game gets much smoother after a couple of plays, but if you don't have people who are willing to invest, you know, playing a game two or three times, then you're not going to get a good experience out of this game. I have two teaching suggestions before we get started on this game. A lot of the comments about the difficulty of teaching this game is the myriad of symbols. There's, I don't know, 30, 40 different symbols on these cards, and once you get the hang of it, you start to understand what those symbols mean. But as far as a new player learning this game, those symbols can be a little bit of an obstacle. And I think those symbols lead to a, a common teaching pitfall. In a situation like this, a lot of teachers, game teachers, are tempted to go through and try to explain what all of those symbols mean, especially as people have them in their cards and they're, they're trying to figure out what all those different symbols actually are. My recommendation is don't teach the symbols. The symbols are not what you're players need to know when they're first learning this game. They need to know the larger concepts. They need to know what the flow of the turn is going to be like, and they need to know how they're going to score those points. They need to know what the five big phases are, and that will really help them read the cards. They'll be able to see that there's some symbol, they don't know what it means, but if it's in the fifth phase there, that that card is used in this particular phase. So I really recommend that you try to teach your new players, try to show them the forest instead of the trees. There's that player aid that has all of the different symbols on it. So once they have the schemas in their head, once they have the general idea of the flow of the game and basically what they're trying to do, then it'll be easier for them, okay, this card, I know this card will help me sell for more stuff, but how does it do that? They'll be able to look at their board and figure that out. So teach the concepts, not the symbols. And the next thing I'm going to add to this game is I'm going to add a piece of terminology. Sometimes in games, they don't really give a good thematic explanation for something that occurs in the game. And that's something that I found with this game. In this game, one of the main things you're doing is you're going to get goods and cash them in for points. There's not really a term for what you are doing there. 
The term I came up with is supply. The idea is that you are supplying goods to your planets. And for doing that, you get victory point chips that I'm going to call supply chips. This simple term of supply hopefully will give your players just an easier way to wrap their head around what they're doing there. They're supplying their planets as opposed to selling the goods for money. But we'll get into that more in just a bit. Some of this may not be making any sense if you've never learned how to play the game before, so let's get into the explanation. Before we do that, my standard disclaimer to, if you have the game, have it right there in front of you. Or another great way to learn the game is to download and open up that fantastic free computer program that you can get from BoardGameGeek. And you can use that to sort of look at the cards and look at what we're talking about as I describe how the game is being played. And I want to give credit to the designer of that program. His name is Keldon Jones. So a big shout out and a thank you for, to him for making that resource available to the community at large. All right, let's get to the hook. Part one, the hook, what the game is about. Welcome to Race for the Galaxy. In this game, you're attempting to build the greatest galactic empire in the galaxy. You score points in this game by developing technologies, by settling new worlds, and by supplying your worlds with resources. Race for the Galaxy has an interesting structure in that the players, they get to decide what happens on a turn. There are five possible phases that can occur on each turn. And those five phases are Explore, to draw more cards, Develop, to play development cards, Settle, to play world cards, Consume, to cash in resources for cards or points, and Produce, to produce resources. On each turn, the players will simultaneously choose an action card to select which of these phases that they want to occur in the following turn by choosing the appropriate card. Then all players will reveal their cards simultaneously. Then the selected phases will occur in that turn. For example, if three players chose Explore, Develop, Produce, then those phases would occur for all three players. All players would get to explore, then develop, then produce resources. If three players chose explore, develop, develop, then players would only explore and develop on that turn. Players would select a new action card for the next turn, and then the game continues in that way. So what are you trying to do? There's really only two major ways to score points. One way is to play these development and world cards in front of you as they score you points at the end of the game. The other way to earn points is to supply your worlds with resources. The person who does one or both of these things the most by the end of the game will score the most points and will be the ruler of the galaxy. Part 2. The Meat how to play the game. Game conventions. So this is a card game and you'll be using two different kinds of cards throughout the game. You have a set of seven action cards. These cards say develop, explore, produce, consume. And you're going to choose one of these to do each turn, saying that that's a phase that you want to occur in the next turn. The other kinds of cards you're going to have are game cards. These have Race for the Galaxy printed on the back side, whereas the action cards have your color and some of your alien friends on the back side. 
The game cards come in two varieties. There are development cards, which are recognized by a diamond symbol in the upper left, and world cards, which are represented by a circle in the upper left. So these game cards are what you're going to use throughout the game to play and spend as you do the different actions in the game. As I said, there's five phases, and they are explore, develop, settle, consume, and produce. And those have a fixed order. So after that is decided, which two or three phases you're going to do in a turn, for example, you'll always do them in a fixed order. And they are represented by Roman numerals. Number one is explore, number two is develop, number three is settle, number four is consume, and number five is produce. So if the players chose explore, settle, and produce, you would do them in that order, in the order of the Roman numerals. The other important thing about these Roman numerals is that this is how they are represented on the cards. Most cards that you play are going to give you some sort of a special ability. If there is some sort of a symbol next to the Roman numeral 1, then you know that that card gives you a special ability during the explore phase, and so on. So each card probably gives you some sort of special ability in one of those phases. So you're going to have these game cards, these technology and world cards, in your hand. You'll have different numbers. These cards are used in two ways. These cards basically represent your money. And you're going to have to spend cards or discard cards in order to play other cards in your hand. Like if you wanted to play a card that cost three, you'd have to discard three of the other cards in your hand to play one of them. So cards are basically money, and getting more cards is important early in the game. And the other function of the cards in your hand is to play them in front of you to what's called a tableau. So once you buy a card, you're going to place it there in front of you. And once you place a card in front of you, it's never going to go away unless you have some sort of a special ability. And so you're going to lay all these cards out in front of you. And they're each going to give you, hopefully, some special abilities that will help you get better at doing the different actions throughout the game. The other important reason you want to play cards in front of you in that tableau is that almost all the cards, when you play them down, are worth victory points. The hexagon symbol in this game represents victory points. So you're playing these cards in front of you to get special abilities and for victory points at the end of the game. The last convention in this game that's a little bit different than a lot of games you've probably played is how goods are represented. Some of the planets produced goods. And when you have a planet that has a good, you show that by taking the top card off of the draw stack and putting it face down on that planet or behind that planet to show that that world has goods for sale or for supplying. You don't use like cubes like you would maybe in another game. Now these goods can be of four different types, but all the cards look the same, right? So how you know what kind of a good is which is by looking at the planet. And the color of the planet will designate the kind of good it is. So if it's a brown planet, which is rare minerals, then that good represents some rare minerals. So you have to look at the planet to determine what that good actually is. So you're going to use the action cards to choose one of the phases. You're going to be playing some of the cards in your hand, and you're going to do that by spending money, which is extra cards in your hand that you don't want that you're going to discard. And then you're going to be playing cards in front of you in a tableau. Some of those cards are planets, which are going to be getting goods, which are represented by face-down cards. And you're going to use those face-down cards to either sell to get more cards or to supply your planets to earn victory points. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of the phases, let's get in our head what we're trying to do here. There's two ways to score points. What are those again? 
playing cards, supplying planets. Yes, playing cards and supplying planets. These are the ways to score points. So you're either playing development or world cards. Cards cost money, so you're going to have to find a way to build up more cards. In order to play a card, you discard cards equal to the cost. So how do you get more cards? Well, there's an action called Explore, which lets all the players draw more cards from the deck. And there's another action that lets you sell a good in order to draw more cards, and that's called the Consume Trade action. Then once you have a lot of cards, which will allow you to play cards to your tableau, you're going to want to use the Develop or Settle phases. Develop lets you play development cards, and Settle lets you play worlds. Now some of these development cards have super bonus points. All of these developments cost six to play, so they're pretty expensive, but they're worth it because some of these bonus development cards could be worth up to, say, 10 or 12 points in a game where breaking 40 is a good score. So one major way to score points is to get cards and then to play cards by developing to play developments or settling to play settlements. And then the bonus points come from these developments that cost six to play. And the bonus points they give you are for having particular cards generally. For example, there's one that gives you bonus points for each brown planet that you have. What was the other way to score points again? Supplying planets. Ah yes, supplying planets. So you're going to play these world cards. Now the development cards usually give you special abilities. And what the worlds do is they generally produce and consume goods. So you'll want to use, once you get a few of these planets, you'll want to use the produce action to get a lot of goods and then use the consume action to supply these planets. And whenever you supply these planets with goods, you earn these supply victory point chips. So there's two different strategies here, one involving trying to play a lot of cards and another involving getting a lot of planets, producing a lot of goods and consuming a lot to get a lot of these supply points. You might really focus on one or the other or just try to do some of each. Now let's look at the flow of the game. Flow. So here's how the game is played. All the players will secretly choose one of their action cards and place it face down. Then simultaneously all players reveal their action cards. Then we're going to go through those phases in that fixed order. They have Roman numerals on the cards, explore will always go first, and so on. Obviously, you're not going to get to do all five of the phases. You're only going to get to do the ones that the players select. So it could be just two or maybe even one phase in a turn. For each phase that's chosen, all players get to do that phase at the same time. And this is one thing that's unique and really nice about this game is when somebody explores, we're all going to draw cards. And everybody can sort of do that, draw and discard at the same time. This keeps the gameplay fast and keeps everyone engaged throughout the play of the game. There's really virtually almost no downtime in this game. Then the next thing I haven't mentioned yet is the action card that you select. You want to select it because you want to do that action, but you also want to select it because you get a special bonus for being a person that chose that action. So I'm about to go over specifically the five different phases, and I'll go over the bonuses for each phase. After you've done the two or three or four phases that were chosen for that turn, that turn is now over. There's a hand limit of 10 cards. Anyone who has more than 10 will have to discard down to 10. And then you'll just start a new turn by selecting a new action card. All right, let's get into more specifically those five phases.
One, two, three, four, five. Five phases of a turn. First up, explore. Explore. All right, so choosing explore means you just want to draw more cards. So when someone chooses explore, all the players will get to draw two cards, and they'll keep one of those two cards, discarding the other one face down. Be careful not to mix those cards with the other cards in your hand. The bonus for choosing this. The person who chooses Explore actually has two choices. There's two separate action cards. One lets you draw five extra cards to look at. The other one lets you only draw one more, but you get to keep one more. So really, if you're taking the bonus, your choices are look at seven, take one, or look at three and get to keep two. The next phase is develop. Develop. This is simply playing the development cards. Development cards are represented by the diamond symbol. All players are going to be able to play one development card. Paying the cost, the cost is the number in the diamond, discarding that number of cards. Remember, cards are money. And then playing that development to their tableau, which generally they'll get to keep until the end of the game. And development cards generally give you some sort of special abilities. And those special abilities will affect a certain phase. Like there's explore special abilities that let you draw extra cards. And there's those big bonus point developments that cost six at the end that are very important that you'd really like to get one or two of them. And if you were a person who played a develop action card, you get to pay for your development at its cost minus one. So you could buy one of those six developments for just five. What a deal. Keep in mind, you are only allowed to play one development during this phase. And if multiple players choose the development phase, then all of you, you'll just do one development phase. And all of the players that chose the develop action card will get the discount. The next phase is settle. Settle. So this is playing world cards, and when someone chooses Settle, all players are allowed to play one world card. Following the standard rules, you're going to play one of your worlds and then discard the cost. The cost is the number inside the circle. So that's how you colonize a world, but you only get to colonize non-military worlds. Here's where we have to make an important distinction. Some of the worlds are non-military and others are military worlds. This is designated by the color of the circle of the world. Worlds that are black circles are non-military. Worlds that are red circles are military worlds. You colonize non-military worlds by paying for them normally. You discard cards equal to the cost and then you play the world. The military worlds work a little bit different. You have to build up enough military strength to conquer them. Remember how I was talking about how some of the different cards have special abilities? One of the special abilities is military strength. And so this is designated by red circles on the cards. They might say plus one or plus two. So in order to conquer a military world, you need to have bonuses to your military greater than or equal to the value of that world. And you don't have to discard any cards. For example, say I had drop ships in my tableau. Drop ships give you plus three to your military. I might have the card Avian Uplift is a world in my hand. That has a cost of two. My total military right now is three because I have those drop ships in my tableau. So I can just play this Avian Uplift world without discarding any cards. So that's sort of a positive thing about the military strategy is you don't have to discard as many cards, but you do have to put the effort into building up all these military cards. 
So just remember, non-military are black circles, and you discard cards to play them. Military worlds are red circles, and you have to have the military strength in your tableau with the worlds and developments that you have in order to play them. But you don't have to discard any cards. The bonus for playing the settle action card is after you settle your world and you are only allowed to settle one world, then you get to draw a card. Keep in mind you do have to settle the world in order to get the bonus card and it comes after paying the cost. Since we're talking about worlds, let's look at the different kinds of worlds. So every world is either non-military or military. Also, it's either going to be a windfall world, a production world, or a gray world. Windfall worlds are represented by a halo of color around the circle, and the circle itself is generally white. These cards get a good immediately when you play them, which is good, but they don't produce anything when someone takes the production action. Production worlds are colored worlds. They're either blue, green, brown, or yellow, and that's the color of the circle. And these are nice because every time someone takes the production action, they're going to get to get a good. So one strategy is to get a lot of these production worlds so that when you produce, you're getting, say, three or four goods and your opponents are only getting maybe zero or one. And then there are worlds that are colored gray. And these don't produce anything, but usually they are worth a lot of victory points or they have a really nice special ability. So windfall worlds are the halo, white inside. They get a good to start but don't produce goods. Production worlds don't start with any goods, but will produce every time someone takes the production action. And gray worlds just don't produce anything. Let's move on to the next phase. Consume. Consume is taking those goods, which are represented by the face-down cards, and, and turning them in, usually to get supply victory points. So consume abilities are the Roman numeral 4 ability. And a lot of times getting these worlds that have the ability to consume resources is important. Otherwise, you don't have anything you can do with your goods. So when someone takes consume, everyone takes all the goods they have and uses all of the consume actions or the four abilities as much as possible. A common thing to do would be to take one of those and to turn it in for one supply victory point. Some of them might give you a victory point and let you draw a card. One thing that's important to note is that most worlds that consume goods only consume one good at a time. Unless it specifically says in the ability times two, if it's just an arrow, you only can consume one good with that planet. So what is the bonus? There are two different choices. The first choice is listed as consume two times VPs. This doubles your supply points. This is typically used at the end of the game once you've built up a lot of worlds and you have a lot of places to consume them. You would play this and then say instead of only getting three supply points, since you use the special ability that doubles your consume points, you would get six victory points. The other consume ability is the trade special ability. This lets you sell one of your goods before you use your goods to supply your planets. Before you do any of your consume actions, you must choose one of your goods and turn it into the bank, and you get to draw an equal number of cards, and remember cards are money, equal to the value of that good. Some of the goods in the game are easier to get than others, or are more common. The blue goods, for example, are on a lot of worlds, so turning that in is only worth two cards. Brown are worth three cards, green are worth four cards, and yellow, which are pretty hard to get, lets you draw five cards when you use this consume trade action. 
And you may get bonuses if you have some special abilities that give you bonuses when you trade. This is represented by the dollar sign symbol on the cards. You may have a special ability that will give you maybe plus one card whenever you trade. So using this consume trade phase card is a little bit different. When you play that, you would get to trade one of your goods for cards and then you must consume all the other ones. All of the other players, none of them are allowed to do this trade action. They just have to use their normal consume abilities. And this consume trade action is often used early in the game to help build up your hand, play more worlds and developments. So that's consuming. Everyone must use all their consume abilities to get those supply points. And the person who played it is either going to go for the double points or they're going to sell one of those goods to draw a lot of cards. Let's move on to the final phase. Produce. Yeah. All right, production. When someone selects production, all production worlds that don't already have a good on them get a good. And you do that just by taking the top card of the draw stack and putting it face down on that planet or maybe behind that planet so you can still see the card. Someone who's producing usually wants to do this because they're producing more goods than you are and probably because they have some nice consume abilities to change in for points or cards. The bonus for the person who chose the action card, normally those windfall worlds, the white worlds with the colored halo around them, they do not produce goods. But as your bonus, you get to produce on one of those windfall worlds on your tableau. And so those are the five phases. Explore, draw more cards, develop, play development cards, settle, play world cards, consume, trading in goods for points or to draw cards, and produce, producing more goods. You'll notice how consume is before produce, which can be sort of annoying because if you want to cash in your goods, it's sort of a two-turn process in order to do that. Also, the nice thing is the player aid for this game has all of these phases listed down there and the bonuses that you get for playing the action card. So now you know your goals, you know the flow of the game, you know how the phases work. Let's just wrap up with how the game ends and the scoring. The end of the game. So just to go back to the flow of the game, players pick an action card, they reveal them, and they'll have two or three phases to go through, and this process will repeat. So when is it over? There are two possible triggers for the end of the game. When one player has gotten to 12 or more cards in their tableau, or if you run out of the stock of supply victory point chips. There are a fixed number of those depending on the number of players. And if that supply runs out, that's the trigger for the end of the game. Now, if you hit that limit, you add more victory point chips to make sure that everybody gets the ones that they're supposed to get, but it just signifies the end of the game. The game doesn't end immediately. You go through all the phases for that turn, and then the game is over. All that's left is to count up the points. The scoring for the game, there are three different things to look at as you're scoring up your total. Your tableau points. So you look at the cards in front of you. The hexagon symbol is points, so you add all of those up. The second thing is some of those developments, remember the ones that cost six, have a question mark in the hexagons because those are worth a variable number of points depending on how many of the bonus things that you have gotten. And those are maybe specific cards that you're looking for to total up. For example, one of them gives you a bonus equal to your military strength. So you, you get to count up your military strength and get to add it to your score. And then finally, you would add your total number of supply victory points. Add all that up together. Like I said, a pretty good score is something over 40. 
and you look and you see who has the most points. If it happens to be a tie, the tiebreaker is somewhat interesting. It is you add up the number of cards you have plus the number of goods you have on those worlds. So when you go through that last turn, make sure to draw all your cards. Produce if people have chosen those phases just in case there's a tiebreaker. But that's it. You add up that total score and the person with the most points is the winner of the game. Part 3. The Hamster. How to win the game. So it's time for some strategic considerations as you work your way through your first couple games. Now, for your first couple games, it will a lot of it will be just figuring out all of those different icons. But as long as you have solid those important concepts of what you're trying to do, you'll be able to, with help of some of the player aids out there, be able to make sense of what all those special abilities do in what phase. The important thing is to keep a larger purpose in mind of a strategy that you want to go after. One of the great things about this game is there's a lot of different paths that you can go down. One thing I particularly like is that with a given hand of cards, there's a lot of different ways to play that hand of cards. So you'll need to make some decisions. Let's talk about those different paths that you could go down. Remembering that there are two major ways to score points. Playing cards supplying planets one of those should really be a focus for you as you go through the game one of the things that can help you decide on an early strategy in the game is you start with one planet to start the game and that planet has some special abilities one of them is a military planet one of them is a producing and consuming goods planet so which one of those you start with might help you decide which of these routes that you want to go down for example, if you had that military starting world, you'd probably want to start off going after a military world strategy. And this is one of the easier strategies to pull off in the game. You just focus your game on trying to get lots of those cards that give you military strength and conquer lots of red military worlds. It's pretty straightforward. The tricky part comes into, do you want to try to participate in the other parts of the game as far as producing a good and having a place to consume a good, or do you just want to focus on military? Another plan is building up to things that give you a lot of discounts on future cards. Also, if you're going to want to play cards to your tableau, you're going to need to develop cards in hand. And one of the ways to do that is to try to get a planet with a very valuable good, like the green goods or the yellow goods, so that you can take the trade action to get a handful of cards to help you pay for more cards in your tableau. The other route to go down is to focus on earning a lot of those supply victory points. And this involves trying to get a lot of production and consumption worlds, specifically trying to get more than the other players, because this will let you get multiple goods and more victory points out of every phase. And then, of course, near the end of the game, using that consume times two supply action card. If you're getting to a point where when you consume, you can supply for four victory points and doubling that to earn eight victory points in a single turn when your opponents are only getting one or two can be a very effective strategy. The other thing that you don't want to ignore are those six development bonus cards. 
At some point in the game, you'll probably pick up one or two of those, and you'll have to consider whether you want to work towards building towards that. For example, you might get the one that gives you a bonus for how many yellow worlds that you have. And this can give you a focus, but it also can distract you. You could get so focused on trying to do this development bonus that you're ignoring too much of the rest of the game. So when you draw those, you need to decide, do I want to try to play this and build my game around this card? Of course, once you really start getting good at this game, you'll know what all of these bonus cards do, and you can really try to build towards one of them without even having the card yet and just hoping you get it later in the game. If you've played Puerto Rico before, you'll definitely get that Puerto Rico feel, and you'll have some of the strategy already in your toolbox. In that, in Puerto Rico, it's very important when you're choosing an action to try to find an action that will really benefit you and not benefit the other players. If you can do an action that only helps you, that's obviously a good thing. The other thing that you have to be aware of is what you think your opponents are going to do. If there's two things that you really want to happen on a turn, you're going to have to look at the other players, look at the cards in their tableau, try to read their minds a little bit, and figure out which ones they're going to do so that you can do the other one. A lot of this comes back to our old piece of advice, do what the other players aren't doing. Yet at the same time, there's pieces of this game where it benefits you to be doing the same thing as another player, as you can sort of ride their coattails and benefit from the actions that they're doing for you. So there's a lot of tricky strategic considerations in this game, which is one of the reasons I'm, I've really grown to appreciate it much more in the last few months. The last thing I'd point you to is that you really have to be aware of the triggers of the end of the game, and that is getting to 12 cards or using up all of the victory point supply chips. And a lot of times it's to your benefit to push this end of the game. If you think a person needs a couple more turns, trying to build really fast to hit that end game point may be an important strategy for you. Or in planning your final few turns, you need to watch the other players to try to predict how many more turns you actually have in the game. So that's all the strategy I have for you today. In your first few games, focus on trying to play lots of cards or maybe earning lots of supply victory points. Don't forget about those six development bonuses. And in playing action cards, consider what the other players are doing. Wish you the best of luck in trying to become the ruler of the galaxy. Part 4. Footnotes. Alright, so some final footnotes here. One thing I like that this game does is it has some good setup rules. In the standard game, all players get six cards, and they discard two to start with four, and they get a random starting world. When you're first learning the game, the game has already set aside cards for you for a starting hand, a four-card starting hand, and one of those starting worlds. I think that's a great way to help players get into the game by not having them have to make decisions they have no information on. And later on, it gives you an interesting decision in the beginning of the game in your later games. Another footnote is whenever you discard cards to pay for things, you discard cards face down, and so you need to differentiate that from the draw pile. The rules suggest to keep it messy. One thing we've started doing is uh, having the draw pile vertical and the discard pile horizontal. That works well also. 
with the end of the game, just keep in mind that you can build more than 12 cards. The end game is just 12 or more. And if you run out of victory points, you use the extras to supplement after you hit that limit. There are some cards that refer to specific cards by name, specifically those six development bonus point cards. Or sometimes they'll look for keywords, and usually those keywords, for example, alien. Alien is always written in yellow. So there's certain cards that refer to alien, and so you're going to look for alien in the yellow typeface, and that's going to help you find those. There are some of those keywords that aren't even used, but they're used in future expansions. Just keep on hand your symbology key. The player aids have explanations of all of those special abilities by phase, and if you're trying to learn the game using the computer program, I would recommend downloading a PDF that has that symbology guide for you as one of the aids there at BoardGameGeek to help you start to learn the game. Timing. Everything in the game is pretty much simultaneous, and there's almost never any reason for something to be played in order. But every once in a while it might happen, like if you're trying to figure out when the end of the game is going to occur. A player can request to play in turn order. Turn order is determined by your start world. Whoever had the lowest valued start world in terms of victory points is considered the start player, and you go clockwise one at a time. If someone really wants to slow down the game and be nitpicky and see what everybody else is going to do. This guy might be taking the game too seriously. In the two-player game, the game changes just a little bit. You play the game as normal when you're first learning, but then the game recommends that you move to playing instead of just one action card each turn, you play two action cards on a turn. And this makes it closer to the three or four player game experience, because if you're only playing one, then you're only going to do two or sometimes even one phase on a turn. And so this allows for things to be much slower to build up, especially if you want to for example, consume and produce. In a two-player game, if you're trying to force that, it's going to take you two turns to do that. Whereas using these experienced rules, it makes it closer to a full game with three or four players. There's a couple extra cards used for that, so players could settle twice or develop twice in one of these rounds. But you can check that out as you get into the into the game and you're playing with two players. You should probably use these experienced game rules. Then there's several expansions for this game. There's three out now. I think a fourth is upcoming. And this game really shows that it was originally designed as a collectible card game back when collectible card games were the thing. Now they're sort of going away, replaced by games like this that are almost the same as collectible card games, but they're, they're not collectible. They don't have rarities. It still can get quite expensive. But if you are looking to deepen the experience of this game, if you really get into this game, you can just keep building layers upon layers. And you need to sort of get the expansions in order as they all build upon each other. But each one starts to add new things. First one is the Gathering Storm. It adds sort of bonus point goals like the first person to get this or whoever has this by the end of the game gets victory points. It also adds with the more cards, it adds rules for drafting, which I think would be very interesting. Players draft from the initial supply of cards and those are the only cards they get to use in the game. So each player has their own personal deck, which I think sounds really fun. I'd like to get to try this at some point. There's also a Solitaire variant variant that seems pretty complex and with the availability of this AI program on the computer I, I think I'd just rather play that than try to figure out this very complex solitaire variant that's included in the expansions. It made my head hurt after reading the rules a little bit but it is there for those of you who are looking for a one-player experience. 
The next expansion, Rebel vs. Imperium, allows you to take over someone else's planet. And, of course, adds more cards to the game. Let's you play with six players if you'd really want to. I don't know that I would want to push this experience to having six players as it's not really that interactive of a game. But there it is. And Brink of War adds another resource, if you will, that you're trying to collect called Prestige, which allows you to do like a super ability once per game or search through the deck for one particular card that you're looking for. So as you can see, each one really just builds and builds and builds upon the experience and makes it more closer to a collectible card game. One thing that I think is neat is that you could tell that a lot of this was already built in. There are things in the original box of Race for the Galaxy that are there for future expansions, and they won't get in the way. There are certain symbols and, and things all set up for rules and variants and things that they add as they added these expansions. So I really appreciate that that depth was there, that they looked forward to adding that, but didn't let that get into the way of of allowing for a really nice standalone game. I think you can get just a lot of fun and a lot of good plays just out of the original set if you don't want to plunk down for a bunch of 20 or $25 expansions. But that's going to about do it today for Race for the Galaxy. If you want to hear me talk more about gaming topics or muse about mechanics or all sorts of other things, join Jeff and myself on the Ludology podcast at ludology.net. And you can also catch me with occasional segments over there at the Dice Tower, as I do my best to shake things up around there, as I typically tend to do over there at the Dice Tower podcast. But that's all I've got here from Western New York. Spring is coming. Sunshine, it was 60 degrees. It was a beautiful day. And things keep plugging along. The show keeps growing. Ludology keeps growing. And continued thanks to all of your support and words of encouragement for the show. I hope you'll give Race for the Galaxy a shot, and you'll hear from me in just a few short weeks. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Sturm for the How to Play Podcast. One, two, three, four. This has been Ryan Stern for the How to Play podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own, and that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek. Or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. This podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. Thanks for listening. The How to Play Podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network, featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. For more information on these shows and much more, please visit www.thedicetower.com. Playing cards, supplying planets, <laughs>